Hello again, everyone. Valentine Val here with another podcast on the topic surrounding race and racism. Wonderful warm weather we've been having. Hope everyone has enjoyed this sunny week. But now it's time for some education, history, and lessons. Although it is a sunny week, that doesn't mean that the sun always shines for everyone. This is why today I will be discussing racial injustices in our systems and both something and both things in the criminal justice system and the inequalities that we tend to look past today. Could it be due to our past where the rules bent in some way for people of color to not notice? Are we living in an age of colorblindness? Racism and injustices are alive and well to this day, and we have to notice when this comes into play. We may be living in a similar era that we have gone through before, as some may say history repeats itself. The racist history of America can never be forgotten or changed, even though many try to hide it. But what happens when the people start to notice? When we challenge the people in power in our systems? We look at poverty rates, crime rates, drug uses, and poor communities of color. Why doesn't it change? It has been this way for so long, and it only stays this way due to some unjust ways in the government. Some complicated ways that it all ties in together. Our prisons, our policing systems, and underfunded low educations in the lower class neighborhoods. Are we living in the new Jim Crow? So with this start, I want to um, give us a little bit of an introduction with some music. Um, this is a song by Michael Jackson. Maybe some of you might know what's coming up. Some of you may not know what's coming up. But Michael Jackson, as we know, is a, a man of color, a black man. As <laughs> Some people, you know, want to fight that. But Michael Jackson is a black man, just with some skin pigmentation, vitiligo, uh, skin disease. Um, and he wrote this song that is one of my favorites. Um, called They Don't Care About Us or They Don't Really Care About Us. So this song, I believe it was released in 1995 and it was um, when in the 90s there was a, a war on drugs and there was a lot of talk in the in, in black gangs and Latino communities and just the over-policing and drug use and this communities and just how incarceration, there was a mass incarceration for people of color, specifically black men and uh, Latino men or other uh, people of color, men of color, even Asians, I believe, were in the, these systems a lot. And so in his music video and his song, They Don't Care About Us, he discusses this. Um, and here I'm going to play the prison version out loud for you. Give me a second, sorry. So that is the start of Michael Jackson's They Don't Care About Us. Um, and this is going to start my topic about how um, some of the government and the systems that we have show that they still don't care for people of color, specifically lower class people of color. And it's like they turn a blind eye. It's kind of like they want to forget that these things still exist and these laws that we tried to get rid of and, you know, these these. Uh, racist ways of thinking are still in a way implemented in people just because of the way our communities are set up the way um, education is set up the way there is still in some ways where um, white people reign in, in power they have the privilege they have the the means to get around they have a ways to go around um, certain uh, troubles that they come in whether that be with police or um, something they did um, 
an unjust like some a law that they broke they have their means of getting past it when black men latino men white even um women of color have harder times going through these things and it's obviously because of how they're perceived and in the communities they're a part of right it's like we see and i i think of in the news when a black man um is convicted of some well a relatively minor crime right they show a picture of him looking or a, a perpetuated picture of him looking aggressive just a solo picture mostly a mugshot and this is on tv this is on news media news outlets websites and even the titles are a bit racist and you can see the difference in when they would talk about um white men who terrorized neighborhoods who were terrorists shot people down killed innocent people they were posed as um deranged damaged kids with um you know loners who didn't know what they were doing and were kind of just in their head and they use pictures of them with family or they use pictures of them doing some kind of out of school activity. And you see that now and people still, you know, we point these things out, but you see it now. Um, so that is something that you may notice in other places. You know, it's in all forms of media. It's in the news outlets <clears throat> and it is still discussed widely on the Internet and in all places today. Um, so here is my question. Are we living in a new Jim Crow era? So the original era of Jim Crow. Um, it started in this after the Civil War, 1865. Of course, the Civil War, we all know why it was fought. It was because of means of slavery, um, the so southern states versus the northern states, land, um, money, slavery, of course, that all comes into play. <clears throat> and we know that slavery was rampant in the southern states and slaves, uh, African-Americans, black people, they had little to no power during the civil war i mean absolutely no power right they had no rights and even after slavery was abolished they were thrown into this new world um where more laws were placed on them for them to <clears throat> be these um law-abiding people that were not even seen as citizens they weren't even seen as people again humanizing black people and other people of color so from 1865 from about 1877 several of these laws were placed I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just going to take a sip of water real quick. Um, <clears throat> so, segregation in the South, you know, um, posters, signs of white men, colored men, designated areas of colored people, <clears throat> where white women belonged, where colored women belonged, even where uh, white kids belonged and where colored kids belonged. It was really um, a very difficult time that some of people's ancestors today had to deal with and they still tell stories of the racism and harsh, cruel words that they endured. Not just words, but acts, right? There was hate crimes. Even when we think about uh, Rosa Parks and the movement she started with the buses, where, oh, not just Rosa Parks, but people, uh, I forget her name. It was a black woman that um, was the first black woman to be put into um, an educational, an institute of education that was. Um, not segregated that was for now both white kids and black kids the first black woman to attend and attend it I mean black she was a kid at the time and she was thrown racial racial slurs I believe she was only 10 I could, she could have been younger she could have been older but I know she was very young and she was thrown racial slurs she was even spit on I believe by older people adults and looked down upon how is a kid having to deal with this stuff and this was and like not too long ago, we have to think this was in the 1960s. Um, our grandparents are 
um, ancestors lived this, not just our ancestors, but like I said, our, our grandparents lived this, saw this on TV and saw the unjust violence and hatred that was happening in our media. So, um, besides that's besides the point. Um, but the era of Jim, again, moving on the original era of Jim Crow, the Jim Crow that we know today, that started from 1865 from about 1877, where there were several laws placed to enact segregation, enact segregation laws. And this was in the South, where we saw signs of white men, colored men, white women, colored women, whites and colors. So the original Jim Crow uh, was a black minstrel show character. And I kind of talked a a little bit about minstrel shows in my previous podcast. And this is a, a performance, it could be theatrical, it could be on TV. And this is a black character, um, a stereotypical black character, played uh, most of the time by a white man, uh, putting on some kind of comedy act, some kind of show to show that this is how black people are like and we make fun of them. They're lazy, they're good for nothing, they're uneducated, they talk funny. That was like the, the premise of these shows. Um, so this is why it was called a Jim Crow era because in a way it was just making... Uh, African-Americans, black people to just be this, right? They couldn't go any further than that because they weren't allowed to. So this legalized racial segregation after the end of the Civil War, um, it lasted until civil rights protests and federal le- federal legislations of the 1960s. Um, these laws used to mar- marginalize African-Americans. They had no voting rights, no voting, no, they aren't able to vote. They had no job opportunities. They had a lower education and if they try to get past these laws, they would get immediately stopped. They would be even be imprisoned or sadly killed. So this included underfunded places for African Americans and other minorities. They were moved into smaller, poorer areas of the South. They weren't allowed in the same places as whites, especially in public spaces. They couldn't ride the same buses, attend the same schools, etc. These laws came to be known as the Jim Crow laws that I'm talking about right now. Although many people felt that these laws were unjust, it was not. It wasn't until the 1890s that they were they were directly challenged in court through the use of a case. Um, Homer Plessy refused to give up his seat in 1892 to a white man on a train in New Orleans. He was required to do so by Louisiana state law, but he didn't, so he was arrested. I talked a little bit about how the bus, you know, Rosa Parks and how they, some people did try to challenge it and it did stir up some controversy and they were able to get somewhere, but sadly in this case, they were not able to get anywhere. Plus he said that it violated the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment to the U.S. constitution and he decided to fight his arrest in court, but the court made its decision against Plessy and it was sadly um, not in his favor. It was in uh, Ferguson's favor in which the U.S. Supreme Court laid out its separate but equal doctrine affirming racial segregation in public facilities. So, as white Southern Democrats, and keep in mind that Southern Democrats, or what a Democrat and Republican is today, was very different back then. So, the Democrats back then were actually the conservatives. They had the more strict laws on people of color. They had more conservative traditional values. So, um, keep in mind that they're changed. So Southern Democrats took over legislators in the former Confederate states and they began passing more restrictive voter registration and electoral laws, as well as passing legislation to segregate to segregate people of color from white people. There was another case later 
uh, Brown versus the Board of Education that actually helped alleviate some of these laws, or it did alleviate a law, in which the Supreme Court decision overturned the Plessy versus Ferguson decision in 1896, and it was led by Chief Justice Earl Warren. The court ruled that separate but equal schools for blacks were inherently unequal and thus unconstitutional. This decision, this decision was made by the civil rights movement in the 1950s and the 1960s, or I mean it helped lead the civil rights movement. So again, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1964, I'm sorry, helped abolish these unjust laws, but segregations did not stop there. The government, along with the people in power, still found a way to marginalize African-American and other minority communities. The president, legislation, and other ways of systemic discrimination were put in place. And this is where the new Jim Crow, I'm sorry, the new Jim Crow comes into place, coined by Michelle Alexander, where she says, we have not ended racial caste in America. We have merely redesigned it. And she says, this is the modern Jim Crow. Mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness. So in this book or in this talk, she talks about how there is a conspiracy on the war on drugs. The spread of hard drugs like crack cocaine was implemented in black neighborhoods ridden in poverty. They had no choice but to sell or buy crack cocaine and they had no choice but to be involved. Black men were arrested for minor petty crimes and small drug charges. They had to earn their freedom all over again. It is not surprising that communities of color are the ones that are most police, leading to high rates of incarceration. This is a cause this this causes a decade of poverty, forced poverty, racial segregation, unequal education opportunities, and unequal treatment based on color and their community. Discrimination of felons and old forms of discrimination employment, housing and voting placed on people of color is applied to these now felons. And this all become becomes legal once again. Those Jim Crow laws that were put in place hundreds of years ago are legal again but on felons and of course mostly felons of color so the right even the right to vote in some states stay even after they leave prison and even employee discrimination comes into play even after you serve your time you're a felon any felony can get you uh can get you discriminated against and in forms of employment and in forms of housing so any felony can get a license, can get you revoked of a license for certain careers, again, house discriminations, and the criminal history stays for these people for a minimum of five years, I believe. So again, on the war of drugs con- conspiracy, they believe that crack cocaine was implemented in black neighborhoods written in poverty. Uh, and this reminds me of when, uh, of when people are well aware of the biases in the system and they use it to their advantage. The notion or idea that drug dealers are black or Latino men who were felons, it's easy to, for someone to wrongly accuse them and quickly get the wrong person in trouble, as well as the police who use their power to unjustly accuse a person of color and find a way to lead a crime to them, sometimes even harming or killing a person of color because they felt unsafe. Why did they feel unsafe? How is a cop trained, armed, feeling unsafe enough to shoot on instant or be violent on instant? It happens now. And we as a society have to be well aware of the corruption and injustices in our systems. Watching unarmed black men, women, kids be killed by the hands of a coward with a quick finger. A wave of protests and riots. Massive. A massive movement. The Black Lives Matter movement that sparked through deaths of Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, Tamir Rice. um, Which led to a really big movement and also a very big hashtag, the Black Lives Matter hashtag. 
and it is also seen as the largest movement of the decade with a number of victims dying to police brutality. It just kept growing. Um, we had also the Say Her Name from black women dying to police violence like Sandra Bland and Breonna Taylor. And recently the most, the most, the biggest one in 2020 with George Floyd's um, death almost or death caught on camera where a cop is choking him in some way, restraining him from breathing and him saying, I can't breathe being caught on camera. But this also increased um, because of this such a big movement and it increased something good out of it. Of course, it made people well aware of the injustices in our system. It made us think and look at the police systems and our criminal justice systems and be like, where is the problem? Why is it that black men are dying to the hands of these um, non-black cops? Do they need higher training? What is it that, is it some kind of rooted racism that they have when they see a person of color, a black man, a brown man. It really, people started to think and people were looking into other cases and looking into other um, unjust incarcerations and all this stuff. So it actually increased body cams in police and it increased community policing and it also banned some chokeholds. Um, yes, it banned some chokeholds and some excessive forces of violence in um, our law enforcement after this movement so again it it was it was looked more into our police were looked into the ways they were dealing with things were looked into and now there is more body cam and although we can't fully trust law enforcement or some people may think that they can't fully trust law enforcement the black lives matter movement and this new era has brought forth has brought forth forth some good and some um new education and some new and an awareness for how we're treated by the government and certain systems here in the United States. So I hope you guys um, enjoyed hearing me talk about this very important topic and I hope you learned a little bit about um, what it, what the new Jim Crow is described as as well a little bit it, you know a refresher memory in your mind on what the Black Lives Matter movement was and you remember the names of the black men and black women lost, um, sadly, due to the hands of police violence and police brutality. Thank you.